Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay, good morning. I'll try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Just make sure you're with me. Um, Ben's just said to me, you feel you've got your preacher's shirt on this morning. So I'm just hoping it's not going to be style over substance this morning. I can't guarantee it, but I'll do my absolute best. Uh, Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. And as we come now to your wonderful word, we ask that you would breathe on it. You'll breathe on every word that I say, that it will find its home in all of our hearts. And uh, that you will continue your process of working in us what is pleasing to you and equipping us for works of service that you have planned in advance for us to do. And we ask it in your name for your glory's sake. Amen. Okay, well, you'll know we've come to the end of our series on the Beatitudes for a while, so we're in transition between one series and the next. And uh, so today, we're going to look at the issue about of money, actually, what we do with our money. And uh, the Bible talks about money a lot. Jesus spoke about money a great deal. He is very interested in what we do with our money. One of the things that he did, you might remember, is that he sat in the temple watching people come and give. I mean, I don't know about you, but um, if you were to come and... If we, were gonna, if we did offering differently here, if we had something at the front here and you had to come and give, uh, and Owen was sitting there watching you, I don't know how you'd feel about that. Um, But that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did. He sat and watched as people came up to give into the temple offering. And he does that now. (laughs) We can't get away with it. Uh, You might think, oh, perhaps he doesn't see. But he's very interested in what we do with our money. He's very interested in it. And uh, so today we're going to look at a passage and see if we can pick up some of the principles that the Bible teaches about, about what we do with our money and about giving in particular. So we're going to look at a passage from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, and in chapter 8, we're going to pick it up in chapter 8, and in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of this letter that he writes to the Corinthian church, he talks to them a lot about giving and about money. In fact, the whole of these two chapters, chapter 8 and 9, are about money and are about giving. And what, the context of it is that a year or so before, the church in Jerusalem started to be in financial need. Uh, they were being persecuted, and so an appeal was made to other churches to give. And this church in Corinth had responded to that appeal. They had said, yes, we are willing to give. Uh, and this is the context in which Paul is writing this letter. And uh, we'll pick it up at the first verse of chapter 8. And uh, the words will come up for you on the screen. And so Paul writes this. He's writing to the Corinthians and he says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. I think that's a pastor's dream, don't you? When his congregation come and earnestly plead with him for the privilege of sharing with this, to this service in the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, what Paul is doing is he's been on a journey to Macedonia and here's some other churches that he covers in this region of Macedonia. And he's been overwhelmed by what he's seen there. So the Macedonian church had also responded to this appeal for support for the church back in Jerusalem. But actually, as you read it, you realise, if anything, this church in Macedonia, or the Macedonian churches, should have been in receipt of money. They were acting out of extreme poverty. And they gave up to their ability, Paul says, and beyond. He had seen something quite amazing. He says, it's beyond my expectation. Uh, it came out of a whole recommitment that the church had made to, to Christ. And out of that, they give up to their means and beyond it. And it's almost like Paul is, has caught something. He's caught something. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of it. And so when he talks about Titus had started this work with the, with the church in Corinth, he's saying, look, I, I want Titus to continue this work with you because he's picked up that something amazing has happened to this church in Macedonia. Now, it's very interesting when you read these two chapters, which are all about giving and are all set in the context of this appeal for money for the church back in Jerusalem, not one point does Paul talk about the need in Jerusalem. So he doesn't um, produce pictures of wide-eyed Israeli children, you know, looking pensively at the camera. Um, he doesn't sell it in a big way to the church in Corinth. He's not saying to them, oh, there's the need here, and you should have heard what happened to so-and-so, and, and they're all living in caves at the moment. And actually, the whole of those two chapters in, in Corinthians 8 and 9 don't mention the Jews at all. Doesn't mention them. And I thought, that's really odd. What, if Paul is talking for two whole chapters to this church about giving and about response to this appeal, why, why isn't he making more of what the problem is in Jerusalem? Why isn't he tugging at their heartstrings? And do you know why I think that is? 
It's because for Paul, that is not the primary reason why he is talking to this church about giving. This is not so much an appeal that comes from a financial need. It's a pastoral appeal. He's picked up that something wonderful has happened to this church in Macedonia where the grace of God has come to them and now they're stirred so much that they are giving up to their means and they're giving beyond their means and they're begging him for the privilege of being able to give and he's seeing this and he's saying, boy, I want this for you. This is a pastoral plea. This isn't a finance plea. This is a pastoral plea to the church saying, I want you to experience this grace that can come from giving. From giving exuberantly. It's interesting, isn't it? If you get these, um, and, and don't hear me wrong, I'm not, I'm not saying it isn't all, it's always wrong to appeal for money, but do you get, I get these things through my door uh, quite often. If you've ever given somewhere, then they've got your name, haven't they, on their database, and you'll, and you'll get your letters, and I get ones from various places and charities and where I might have given once, and they're, and they're still sending their letters, and I know that I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a comment particularly about to make about that, but, but this is not what Paul is doing. This is not like a letter going out saying, okay, Here's the picture of the Israelite child with his big wide eyes and he's got nothing in his hands. No, this is not what Paul is doing. He's saying, I want you to grow in this and to excel in this grace of giving. So let's have a look about perhaps why. Why? Why is Paul wanting them to excel in this grace of giving? And I think we have some clues in the passage. First of all, He says in verse 8 that giving tests the sincerity of our love. It tests the sincerity of our love. I don't know if you got a chance last week to have a look at um, Janine's beautiful engagement ring. Now, my guess is, I haven't spoken to Jamie, but my guess is that he didn't just take her down the shop one day and get some loose change out of his pocket and pay for it. My guess is that he saved. I guess. My guess is he made some sacrifices. Maybe he worked some extra shifts. I don't know. But my, I mean, perhaps, perhaps I'll ask him. But my guess is that Jamie saved. He has told Janine, no doubt, many times that he loves her. But he put his money where his mouth was. There is something powerful about backing up what we say, because do you know what? Words are cheap. Words are cheap. I can tell God I love him many times, but actually, words are cheap. There's something about wanting to demonstrate when you love somebody that you love them, and it's going to cost. It might be, you know, kids that on Mother's Day get up and they make that breakfast, don't they? And the mum says, thanks very much, and, and you know, the toast's a bit soggy, and maybe, but they're going to eat it. They're still going to eat it because they know that their kid has got up and they've made the effort to do it. It's a bit like that with the father and us. Do you know something? Let me tell you this. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't actually need it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
made it all. But you know what? It's a bit like a dad who gives their kid a bit of pocket money and then the, the kid goes out and buys something with it and gives it back to dad. You know, I remember doing that for the first time with my, with my mum, the first time I ever actually went out by myself to the shop to buy her something for her birthday. And it was with pocket money that, that they had given me in the first place. And uh, I went down to this little shop that was just down the road. It was just when I was allowed out for the first time sort of thing to go down to the shop by myself. And I bought, uh, my grandmother lived with us, so I lived with her as well. And I went down to the shop and I, I bought this blue, I can picture it now, this blue glass fish, okay? <laughs> blue glass fish was about that big. And uh, I, I bought it with my pocket money. I went back home. I showed it to my nan. I said, I bought this. Do you think she'll like it? And my nan didn't. Uh, my nan was one of those people who didn't. Um, she didn't mince words. She said, "No, go take it back and swap it for something else." Uh, and so I did. I took it back and I swapped it for something else. I, I did, and I swapped it for this little this little China figure of a of a, an old lady. Do you know? I don't. Not, not sure that that was that much better, to be honest. But my mum still has that, and it's still in her glass cabinet. It's not the most expensive thing she has. It's not the most beautiful thing she has by a long shot, but she still has it. And I've told her the story before about the glass fish. And do you know what she said? She said, if you'd bought it for me, I'd have loved it. Do you know that's what the father's a bit like with us? When we give, he loves it. He loves it. It is a way of showing our love for him. It is testing the sincerity of our love. If you love him, you will want to give. Paul says it tests the sincerity of our love. It puts faith into action. Look at this, what he says in verses 10 and 11. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. You see, I think what had happened with this Corinthian church is when the, the appeal had first come almost a year before, the church had said, yeah, we're going to go for it. We're going to do it. We're going to support the church in Jerusalem. And they, they'd not put legs on it. They'd not finished it. They'd not completed the work. And there is something that God loves about us completing what we say we're going to do. Because as we've just said, words are cheap. But he wants us to experience what it's like to complete what we say we're going to do, to complete it. It gives us a chance to put faith into action. In the message, I love, I love what they say in the message translation of the Bible. The guy who's translated uh, the message version of the Bible says this, your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish, so go to it. Go to it. Do you know, that's sometimes the case with us. God knows our hearts in the right place. He knows our hearts in the right place. But sometimes we just need to go to it. We need to finish the task. Yeah? We need to go to it. Paul is encouraging this church to finish what they started. To go to it. To put their money where their mouth is. The other thing that giving does is it locates where your heart is. In fact, what we do with our money 
is a, is a bit like a, a window into our heart. Listen to what he says. Each one should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's interesting, isn't it? I found it, found it interesting that Paul doesn't say each one should give what he has made up his mind to give. He says each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I wonder what your response and reaction is when you hear that word giving and you think about it in terms of yourself. If I were to say to you today, church, I want you to review your giving. I want you to look at what you're giving at the moment. I want you to review it. I wonder what your first reaction would be. It will tell you something about where your heart might be. Would your reaction be to be a bit defensive? Do you know, I was at a church last summer, and uh, I was on holiday with some friends uh, by the coast, and uh, I decided to go to the local parish church uh, that Sunday. Uh, one of the reasons is because um, I love singing hymns, and uh, we don't often get a chance to sing hymns. Um, we sang a good one today, and uh, I know that if I go to a good parish church, I will be able to sing some hymns with gusto. And so I went to the local parish church. And uh, this was a, a quite a well-attended church. Uh, it, it was fairly full. It was very traditional. And sure enough, we sang some good hymns. And the vicar that day, uh, part of what he was talking about was giving. And what he said was that um, the, the church attendance had grown in the last year, which was great. And the way it works in the Church of England is that according to the numbers of people you're getting, the diocese then asks you to make a certain contribution to central funds. And if you have got more people coming, then they might ask you for a bit more. And this is exactly what happened for this church. Their numbers had gone up a bit, which obviously was great. And so the diocese were asking for a little bit more proportionate giving. And uh, I could tell this vicar just looked a little bit, he looked, he looked a little bit worn and weary as he was saying this. And uh, so at the end, I just thought, oh, I want to encourage him. So as we, as we left, you know, it's the traditional thing. The vicar stands on the, the door and you shake hands at the end. And, and, uh, and I just said to him, I, I think you, did the, you communicated that, that thing about giving really well. And uh, he said, oh, thanks very much. I don't know. You know, you could tell he was a bit wear-worn with it, really. And, uh, and I discovered why as I walked out. I walked out next to a couple of his parishioners and they were going at him absolutely hell for leather. How dare he talk about it? It was like this guy didn't have the right to tell them about giving. I just thought, this is tra no wonder this guy looks weary and worn. It was tragic. Our response to the Holy Spirit's conviction about giving tells us a lot about where our heart is. Huge amount. What's your response to giving? Oh, is it defensiveness? Is it reluctance? Paul says here, give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
for God loves a cheerful giver. Does that mean that if you are considering your giving and you think to yourself, well, actually, I feel really reluctant about this and I feel defensive about it, so I better not give in that case because it says don't give if you're reluctant and don't give if you feel under compulsion. Well, maybe, but actually I think that would be the foolish thing to do. Far better for you to get on your knees and examine your heart. God, why am I feeling like this about giving to you? Why? Examine your heart. It's telling you something about where your heart is with him. If you feel reluctant or under compulsion, then you need to get on your knees and you need to get your heart right with him. Because do you know what? God sees it. There's a passage in Isaiah where God says this to the people right at the beginning of Isaiah. He says, I've had more than enough of your burnt offerings. When you come to appear before me, who's asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. But, but, but sorry, didn't, didn't God instruct the people of Israel to bring sacrifices? Yes, he did. Why has he become weary? Why is he telling them not to bother? Because it's just become meaningless. Because their heart is not there. He doesn't have their heart. It's like an insurance policy. Bring the sacrifice and then hopefully God will. Because these guys, back in the day of Isaiah, were also worshipping idols. It was like they had a foot in both camps and they were keeping that one as an insurance policy. And God sees it. And he's angry and he's disappointed. And he, does, he says, don't bother. Don't bother. I tell you what, you never ever want to hear God say to you, don't bother. That's frightening. That is a frightening prospect for God to say to you. You're bringing it under compulsion, reluctance. If I don't have your heart, it's okay, don't bother. Don't bother. Boy, that's, that's a frightening prospect. Check your heart when you think about giving. It's telling you something. And do you know what it is? It's his loving wake-up call for you. That's what it is. If you know when you consider giving that it's just this inside you, it's his loving wake-up call to you to say, okay, should we come do some business about your heart? Should we get that sorted? I tell you, if you do that, he changes your heart and you love to give. I was talking to a guy yesterday, and we were working together on food bank. He comes from another church. And uh, he, he, he told me a story of when he was quite a, a new Christian. He's a faith-filled guy. And uh, he was telling me a story of when he first became a Christian. And he, uh, he, he didn't have very much money, and, but there was someone in greater need than him who needed 100 pounds. And he said, I just, I had no work because he was self-employed. He had no work come in. He said, I didn't, I, I didn't have, a, you know, 100 pounds was probably about all I had. But I just, I just, I struggled a bit, but I just felt God was saying, let's do it. So this is a new, quite a new Christian. So I did it. And he said, the next day, I got so many offers of work that I had to say no to some of them. It was, it was just a lovely, lovely story. Um, God is no man's debtor. You cannot outgive him. If he convicts you to give, 
and he will not allow you to be without. And actually, you can't outgive him. It's a good thing to try. Now, he says that, actually. Do you know that? He says that? He says, test me in this. He does. Right at the end of the Old Testament, book of Malachi, the people aren't bringing in their tithes. And he says, bring your full tithe in and test me in this and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing on you that you won't be able to contain it. Go on, try it. He invites us to test him in this. And I know that some of you here have done that and proved him faithful. The state of our heart towards God is more important to him than what we bring. Get it right. Giving can build faith-filled confidence. Right at the end, towards the end of chapter 9, Paul's been exhorting this church to give, and then he says this. And you can just feel him warming to it. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You will not be able to outgive him. Do you know, it's, it's interesting for me I, um, I've, I've given up a job that was very secure with a very secure pension and was very well paid. And I'm now in a position where I've felt with the counsel of the other elders to go into something where I'm not always sure what work's going to come in. I'm not, nobody's paying into a pension for me. And, uh, and, uh, and so money is very different. It's so interesting that I feel less anxiety now about finances and money than I ever did when I had a secure job where my tax was paid, someone was making a very healthy contribution into a pension pot for me, and I didn't have to worry about money. But I was more anxious about it then than I am now. Isn't it interesting? And shall I tell you what shifted for me? What shifted it for me was this probably about 18 months to a year ago, I read that passage where Jesus says, don't worry for tomorrow. (coughs) If your father can clothe the losers of the field like that and feed the birds of the air, won't he look after you? Stop worrying about tomorrow. And you know what? I reached a point where I thought, I'm not sure I've ever really believed that. I haven't lived like I've believed that, always. If I don't believe this, then how much of this do I believe? If that's not right, what else in here do I think isn't right? And I came to the conclusion, I do believe this. I do believe him. Do you know what, God? That is how I want to live, like that. That is how I want to live. And I can honestly tell you that, yes, there are still days when a little bit of anxiety will creep up and I will just have to pray and bring it back before him again. But I am not worried about tomorrow. I'm not. The only thing that's changed is I've chosen to believe. That's the only thing that's changed. It revolutionizes the way you treat money, you see money. It revolutionizes your freedom to put your energies into other things. 
all the time we're worried about money. All the time we're worried about where's the next, next pound going to come from? What about my pension? Who will look after me in old age? All of those things. All the time we're worried about that, we're not worried about the most important thing, which is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And all the time that I'm spending my emotional energy worrying about the other things, I'm not focused first on his kingdom. He wants us to do it to release us so that we are we can expend all of our energy in the thing that brings the most satisfaction. Do you know that? I'm more satisfied in life now than when I was earning a lot more money. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm not saying that to you because I'm a saint. I'm just saying it took me a long time to discover it. I would love it if some of you discover it a lot earlier than I did. Live the rest of your life like that. Live the rest of your life believing. Live the rest of your life where you feel the conviction of him to give away £100 and you think, it's a bit risky, but you know what, I'm going to do it. Let's see what God does. Let's see what God does. What does that do? It stirs your faith. It builds your faith. It brings glory to him is what it does. That's what it's really all about when you do that. It brings glory to him. Do you know what? There's grace for giving. There's grace for giving. If you've heard some of this stuff and you've started to think, oh, but I, just, I don't know whether I can ever get to that point. I'm just, I'm just not sure whether I can ever be free enough to feel like I can give up to my means and beyond my means, like that church in Macedonia. I'm not sure I've, I've got it in me to do that. I'm, you don't know what a worrier I am. I'm just not sure I can do it. Well, it's absolutely lovely what Paul says. Listen to this. Right at the beginning of that passage we read, he says this. Brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. He gave them grace. So then they could give. They didn't have to work up some sort of sense of faith or have their heartstrings tugged a little bit more to give to the Jerusalem church, God gave them grace for it. So then they were able to do it. And how were they able to do it? What does it say? They gave with rich generosity and out of overflowing joy. Out of overflowing joy they gave. I tell you, if you're going to give out of overflowing joy, God's got to do something in you. You can't do that by yourself. And that's what Paul's saying, you don't have to. There's grace for it. There is grace for you to be able to give with outflowing joy and see him pour in so many blessings that you will not be able to number them. In the, in the best possible terms, this is a prosperity gospel, but it might not be prosperity in the way that we might expect. You might not end up with two Mercedes and a BMW. <laughs> Sorry about that. You might not. But what you will end up with is a sense of true worth. You will end up with him pouring into your life the things that bring most satisfaction. He will take you to a place you've not been before.
giving tests the sincerity of our love. It gives us an opportunity to demonstrate our faith through good works. It tells us where our heart is. And it can take us on faith adventures where we see his kingdom grow and we discover that in every single way he's got us. That's what giving can do. I'd like us to stand together. And let's just close our eyes for a moment. And as I thought about this, I thought there there are two particular responses that we might want to make. Now, one is, where's our heart? Where's our heart? As we feel God whisper to us about our giving, what does it do to our heart straight away? Do you know what? When, when the Holy Spirit convicts you about giving, it's a bit like he turns on a tracking device to find out where your heart is. So if he were to turn on that tracking device right now, where would he find that your heart is? Is it for him? Is it filled with love for him? Is it filled with faith? If it isn't, this is his wake-up call. This is his drawing you close and drawing you back. Where is your heart? And the other is, I just had that sense about action. So where Paul talks to that church and says, you've been willing, now act. You've been willing, now act. And you might have been willing to give. When you think about giving, you might be thinking, oh, it's one of those things I'd love to do, and one day I'm going to get round to it. And just, just when I get this, a little bit more savings in the bank, when I, just when I feel a little bit more financially secure, that then I'll give. Uh, I've been thinking about it for a while, and, and I know I, I want to do it. And it's like God says, well, you've been willing. Now act. Go to it. And that might be you. This morning, you might feel that just the conviction of God saying, go to it. Go to it. So let's pray together. Father, we... We want to thank you first for your indescribable gift to us. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that though you were rich, yet for our sake you became poor, so that through your poverty we might become rich. We thank you so much that you have provided the best model for us because you have given over and above what we will ever, ever be able to comprehend. And we want to follow the Master. We want to follow our example, the Lord Jesus. And we want to learn what it is to give joyfully, sacrificially, and to experience what it is to have our faith built as we do so. And to be able to tell stories about how you've provided that bring glory to you. Lord, we would love to be a people full of stories about where you came through for us when we made a tiny little sacrifice for you. Do something in our hearts, we pray, if you need to do that. And Lord, if we've been willing but we've just not acted, help us now 
to take that step, that practical step, to demonstrate our love for you by putting our money where our mouth is, to take that step of moving beyond willingness to action. Do it for your glory, for the building of your church, for the expansion of your kingdom, for the glorification of your name. And in that precious name, we ask it. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.